I couldn't be more excited for our guest this week. Literally, it is the creme de la creme. He's the man's man. After just recently retired from Lockheed Martin as experimental F-35 lead pilot there, uh, was F-18 pilot in, in Canada for a long time and had a couple exchange programs. But today, listen, when you want to talk about challenges uh, and, and moments in your life where you say, can I continue doing this? Our guest coming up right now, Billy Flynn, is probably the leading guy when you talk about taking challenge after challenge, not only being a fighter pilot for the Canadian Royal Air Force, but also uh, going on to be an experimental test pilot for the F-35 and Lockheed Martin. So if you will, welcome with me here, Billy Flynn, the man, the myth, the legend, with us right here on the Legacy Podcast. Yo, it's a show that continues getting you motivated for you and your goals. Welcome back to the Legacy Podcast. I'm your host once again for Legacy, Kinsley Jordan, your winning coach, encouraging you each and every week to crush your goals, ignite your dreams, and forge a legacy in your life. Billy, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today on the Legacy Podcast. Trigger, thanks for having me here. It'll be lots of fun uh, chatting today. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So first, let's start start off with just a little bit of your background. I mean, it's it's a weighty statement when you look at your experience. Um, it was so funny to look at your LinkedIn profile because it says experimental test pilot and F-35, as if you need any other description about your qualifications and <laughs> your experience. That probably says enough. But, you know, every journey started somewhere. So if you will, just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, where you were, what got you interested in flying, what led you into uh, becoming a fighter pilot, what what got you into the realm of becoming the F-35 experimental test pilot for Lockheed Martin? You know, where did that journey begin? Boy, we got 25 minutes and that's it. Oh, no, no, no. We got more than enough time. This is going to be two parts, friends. So, so part of this is easy for me. My dad was a fighter pilot and uh, I grew up around fighter pilots. I grew up around jet airplanes. And on Sundays after church, my dad used to take my brother and I to the hangar and we'd sit in the cockpits of, of the fighter jets that he flew. So I at least knew a bit about, I grew up with, with models and drawing fighter jets and I knew what fighter pilots, what the kind of life they, they lived. And I had a yeah. sense of that. Uh, I actually never flew in an airplane before pilot training in Canada, but I at least knew what that was. And then I'll tell you the second part that led me to the second phase of my career is I picked up a book called The Right Stuff. Oh, yeah. Written by Thomas Wolfe. And the movie has been out, mm, Lord, it must be uh, almost 40 years now. But uh, I read the book, and mm -hmm. that told me about these godlike figures, these godlike <laughs> men that did the most amazing things in aviation. And I couldn't imagine who they would be or how I could ever even meet people in that world. Yeah. But it started me down the path and led to the, the dream. So the first start, I got to see what fighters were early in life. And I knew that going fast, making noise was something that was probably a, a pursuit I wanted to chase, a dream I wanted to chase. And then the second phase was uh, I read a book that sent me on my, on my path. Um, I went to military college, the Canadian version of it, mm -hmm. to get an engineering degree. Uh, because my father said, look, you need a backup. Um, and then I, I, I got into pilot training. The secret for me early on was I had ridden in the backseat of F-104 Starfighters and F-5 
in our case, trainers in between my third and fourth years of military college. And I had 50 hours in the summertime sitting in the backseat of fighter jets. My first jet flight was in the backseat of a 104 starfighter. I went supersonic at 100 feet over the trees in northern Alberta and northern Canada, <laughs> uh, did loops, pulled me, tons of rolls. And that was my initiation to what the world of fighter was. fighters were. It did not take much to keep me motivated through my last year of university and all through pilot training, knowing that that destination was, was better than anything I could have imagined. So I flew F-18s at the very beginning of the fourth gen of fighters. We're going to talk fifth gen later. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were called plastic pilots. And they were super sophisticated, right? They were powered by two Commodore 64 computers. That's what the mission computer of an F-18 was many years ago at the very beginning of its life. But it did magical things. It did uh, slow speed flight like you still see at an air show. It did square loops like the F-18 still does at air shows. And I was a fighter pilot. I flew in Canada. I flew in Germany. I chased a Russian bear off the coast of Newfoundland in the east of Canada in the dark of night when they came close to uh, North America. Uh, shot missiles, dropped bombs, and all of that was just wildly exciting for a young pilot. And then I, w I had read that book, The Right Stuff. I yeah. wanted to be a test pilot. I took that engineering degree as part of my resume and eventually ended up at the U.S. Naval Test Pilot School in Patuxent River, Maryland, east of Washington, D.C. Did a year of the most amazing flying and the toughest course of my life. Flew 24 different airplanes in one year. And uh, then went from there, that's the East Coast, went to the West Coast of the United States. And I flew as the Canadian Exchange Test Pilot at Edwards Air Force Base for five years. I flew F-16s and I flew with the NASA folks there. I flew F-18s occasionally with them. And I did things that you'll see in history books like thrust vectoring, yeah. which is now yeah. on the f I was part of th three different research programs for that. And then back to Canada to be a squadron commander. I uh, commanded a fighter wing in combat. And then, uh, and then I retired and I went to fly the Eurofighter Typhoon mm -hmm. in Germany. I was uh, uh, at the beginning of Typhoon's life. And then somewhere after that, I decided it was time to come home and be part of F-35. I came to Lockheed 17 years ago. I flew amazing F-16s for years. And then obviously the F-35, which is the granddaddy program of all. And so, yeah. yeah, when you say, what's your doc title? F-35 test pilot. That pretty yeah. much says it all. Yeah. <laughs> there is, there is, you just, that, this is a series of probably five episodes that we'll never be able to get enough uh, of the stories and, and the heritage of what you're talking about. Because really, I mean, you're talking about being a fighter, fighter pilot's fighter pilot. And, and it, but you said something that was so important because, you know, when you, when you uh, key in on our listeners, you have people who uh, may not be interested in flying at all, but they are interested uh, in wondering how do you look at this challenge? Because, you know, if you, if you had the chance to talk to 18 year old you and say, hey, someday you need to pave the way to become the F-35 test pilot, which you don't even know what that is yet, but it's the creme de la creme. Um, th those challenges along the way of pushing through and saying, I can do it. And you said something really interesting, even at the very beginning of that, of saying, you know, uh, your dad was a fighter pilot, you had the ability to be around and, and the importance of be getting yourself in the proximity of what it is you want to do. And I imagine, you know, going back even a little bit to your high school experience of what got you into that. 
Um, were you naturally gifted? Were you one of these people that you, you it, academics and everything just kind of came natural? Because that was not me, I can promise you. <laughs> I went to the Air Force Academy after trying to get in the first year. They said, thanks, but no thanks. Why don't you try again next year? And eventually I got in. So what was, when you look at that desire of, hey, I want to be, go, be, I want to go be a fighter pilot for uh, the Canadian Air Force, that's not something that's just handed out to people at all. So clearly you had a challenge to be able to go through that. Uh, what was your experience in that? Was it just something you said, hey, I got to do it? Well, so let's make it really clear. And as we talk about the caliber of what a pilot is, there's three things that define that. It is some element of natural ability, mm -hmm. but it's then it's training and it's experience. And like a lot of things in life, whether it's playing football or, um, or it's being a musician, there are people that are naturally gifted at, at, at a pursuit. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of them, and I never had that natural ability. And I'm sure everybody in a pilot training class, if we're just talking about pilots, they know one or two people, a guy or a gal or a couple of them that are just, they're naturals at it. Yeah. But that's just a part, a, a tiny bit part of it. Uh -huh. And then the rest is, how good is your training? How good are your instructors? How good are your mentors? What do you learn from them? Is it the kind of l learning uh, scenarios that you adapt to? Or is it stuff that's just too hard and it doesn't, doesn't work? Yeah. And then there's the experience because experience adds up a lot. You make up a lot of time. You don't have to be the most gifted, but if you're the person that went to war, if you're the person that almost had an accident and you learned from it, if you're the person that got to fly different airplanes and learn to adapt your skills, your skill set as a pilot, and it actually applies throughout life, broadens dramatically. So I was never a naturally gifted test pilot. Uh, I'll take one anecdote. I, I seldom tell it in public, but in the initial selection of pilot training in Canada, it was 27 hours in a Beechcraft Musketeer. Wow. And I had, and every pilot has this in their life, I had an epically bad flight on my final exam, and I actually failed. And the pass mark was like 65. I made a bazillion bad mistakes. My mark was 64.7. They had a review board for my case. I remember I, I landed, it was a morning flight. I called my dad who was still in the military at the time and I was crying. I was 20, I don't know, 21 years old. My life was over uh, and he <laughs> sent me back to my room and told me to settle down and just wait it out. And the only reason I passed that they let me go further was because my attitude was, I was so keen and I was so motivated that they thought that this was just a one-off bad deal, but I, I would have failed out. And yeah. I learned a, an incredible lesson that stayed with me the rest of my life, which is persistence. Never give up, never stop believing, yeah. always believe in yourself. And I, I, from that point on, I can assure you that my gross mistakes in aviation <laughs> were minimized because I had learned the hard lesson early on. Yeah. Um, Okay, so it's those three things. And by the way, you thought that was original thought from me. It's not. It came from Chuck Yeager, the first man to break the sound barrier, late October 1947. Chuck Yeager once, he wrote it in a book, and he and I talked about it many years ago. I had the opportunity of, to fly with him 25 years ago or so in an F-16. And, wow. And we talked about this. It's some part of natural ability, but, but to make it in the long game, to make it like me for 40 years, Training and experience really, really matters. Mm -hmm. it, when you talk about that training experience, I just want to pause there for a second because uh, it, it's <laughs> it's so funny 
to hear. I'm, I'm glad that I'm in good company of, of historic failures uh, in moments of our lives because I too remember a moment exactly like that where uh, it was my formation check and pilot training went disastrous. I mean, if anything could have gone wrong, it probably did go wrong. And at the end of that, I remember coming back and that was the last thing that had to happen. And I was like, wow, that this is what it's like to fail out of pilot training. Nice. You've worked your entire life to get it. And, and, and much of this very similar thing where they look at the track record and then look at your history and say, this is... Um, uh, this is is kind of non-standard for you. Uh, let's go back and give it another shot. Uh, but it's really, you know, there's a lot of people that when you have a moment of failure, uh, some people crumble and they don't realize that it's not about the failure that takes place. It's about your, you said it, the persistence and the perseverance to be able to push through moments of like that because there, there are times that we're going to fail, especially when you're talking about flying in, in Air Force as an Air Force pilot and a Canadian pilot, um, a, a Canadian Air Force pilot. There's, it's not a fact of if you're going to fail because, you know, it, we're kind of known for our debriefs being arduously long, you know, four hours is a short debrief. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not a fact of when you're going to screw up. You will screw up, but it's what you do after you make a mistake. And it's what you do, how you pull yourself back together and you kind of gather yourself together and say, listen, I got to shake it off. I can't allow this to keep, keep me down. I've got to move on to the next uh, either training mission or the actual mission in combat. You can't allow things to hold you back. So it, it, just pausing there for a second, is there a moment in your life where you look back and not just in that moment of pilot training, but maybe it was, I'm sure there was many exercises you guys did, whether it was Red Flag or some of the publicly known exercises where you come back at the end of it and you're just, you get your, you got your tail kicked in at the end of it. And how do you pull yourself together from that? Because those experiences where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I even doing here right now? Like that was terrible. I know there's a lot of people and a lot of listeners who have had those moments, even probably in this last year within COVID that feel like, I'm not even sure where to go with this in my job and my career and my life. What do you do to pull yourself back together? Well, so it's, it is a really important part as we look, we focus on this sort of pilot conversation, but it deals with life in general. Um, nobody's, so let's talk about flying. I can probably tell you five flights in my life that were perfect flights. Okay. Overall career that expands it, 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 uh, nearly 40 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, every time there's a mistake, every day there are mistakes. There are little mistakes. There are bigger mistakes. Sometimes they're hugely embarrassing. I fly a, a single seat cockpit. So for most of my career, no one saw the mistakes. They weren't recorded and they weren't watching me do them. But I also flew with a control room of 50 engineers in the F-35 world, where if I sneezed, someone excused me. The radio, someone on the radio would come up and and tell me that you know, bless me because I had sneezed in the cockpit. <laughs> I had a lot of people watching what I was doing. We make we make big mistakes, we make little mistakes. And the secret is to keep on going. The yeah. secret after a debrief is to walk out, learn your lessons, and wipe that away and get on with the next step. Because if you're carrying the baggage of the last mistake, if you're carrying the guilt or the fear or the anxiety that you're going to make it again you won't succeed. And that truly applies in life. Of all the bad things that happen, it is almost as if you have to treat it like um, water on a, off a duck's back. You have to, if, whatever, if that's an appropriate expression, you have to roll on one to the next. And COVID-19 is a really important time. For so many people, this has been yeah. enormously difficult. If they're paralyzed by the misfortune they cannot move to the next step. 
And, and that resilience that you and I are talking about is what you get as a pilot because you come out of every single debrief and you get hammered because you're never quite right. And I, I'll tell you that I'm more famous for little mistakes because I've never, I never made the catastrophic mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I consider mm -hmm. the little mistakes every humility that allows you to realize that you're not perfect, that yeah. you still have to study hard, that you still have to be prepared for every day, and that every flight from start to finish is not over till you're done it in the chalks at the end of the, end of the flight and you've shut things down and you're stepping up. Yeah. And if you keep that in mind, that humility takes you a long way to realize we're all, we're all fallible and that it's okay. It's okay because we're going to regroup and go out the next day. Yeah, man. If we can pause for a second there and just give a foot stomp to what you said about, about not allowing the baggage of your previous mistakes to determine the success of your future actions. Holy smokes, that inside itself, <laughs> that's a session inside itself because I, I, whether, whether it's been flying, whether it's been Air Force, whether it's been, I mean, anything at all. I know you, the listener, the subscriber, there's been times we've talked about this before in multiple different episodes where we allow our past mistakes to determine the, the future actions that we take. And, and a lot of times we find ourselves almost hesitant and thinking to ourselves, um, you know, I screwed up once. What happens if I screw up again? It's not about the screw up. It's about learning the lessons from it, which was so huge for you to be able to mention, because if we're not able to learn and truly be in an environment where we can actually learn and take those moments, not as a failure, but a step towards success and a step towards making us better. And that's the biggest thing I think over uh, I've learned overall about the debriefs that we have in the Air Force and the flying community is that it, it, the debriefs are not just just beat you over the head and demoralize you as a person. It's to sharpen you and make you better and make you stronger so the next time you go out, the mistakes you make are fewer and are more finite in action and you continue to hone in on that and you continue to sharpen it. And there's something you said that is really awesome. I'm not sure if the Canadian weapons school is the same as, as the American uh, weapons school, but there's three things we talk about about uh, being a, a weapons instructor. And it comes down to this, being humble, approachable, incredible. And no, not one of those three things is, it talks about being braggadocious or boasting or being prideful, but instead it talks about just like what you said, being humble and approachable and credible in the fact that you're just honing in and focusing on what you can do. And if there's one thing that I can mention that, that you really, it was a perfect segue, is it's, you know, we can only control what we can control. And a lot of times we worry about things and spend a lot of time on things that are outside of our purview and outside of our control. And we miss focusing on the things that we can actually focus in and, and, and learn and hone in on on our own. In your experience, in some of those, you know, you mentioned those five perfect flights. I'm sure for every one flight, there was probably, if you're anything like me, there was probably five that were not even close to perfect. <laughs> but in your experience, do you, do you have anything that really stands out as a moment where you got so fixated on the small thing that you missed the major thing in the process. You missed the major moment in, in that, in that learning lesson or in that mission inside itself. Well, it's, you, so you talk about a, the, this, this notion, this philosophy that I, I, I don't know that I have an example of that. I know that it's really important not to get bogged down on little details and people do that in life and in any parts of life it certainly happens in flying right you get get behind the eight ball and you get fixated on things that really aren't relevant i'll uh, i'll tell you the 
another inside uh, story that I don't repeat very often. So I said a prayer every time I stepped up a ladder for 40 years. And the three things I said was uh, essentially, I wanted to fly safely. And then the second thing, if I flew safely, I wanted to fly to the best of my ability. And then the third part was, if I was safe, if I flew the best of my ability, uh, I always said, let's go have a good time. Yeah. Not losing sight of what the true goal is, is paramount, whether it's in combat or it's flying day to day, or it's just out uh, rooting around having, having fun. And that's, I believe, a, a part of stealing the mind to understanding just what was out there and what had to be done every day and not get getting uh, stuck in the minutia. Yeah. Yeah. And that, la- that last point, being able to focus, uh, you, you know, you talked about having fun, but not, not losing sight of what's truly important. <clears throat> There's been so many times if I was going to be honest with myself, Billy, that, that uh, I've allowed the minutia to actually detract me and take my vision away from what is actually really, really important. And it's almost like you have to have those foundational re-caging moments where you re-cage and, and realign yourself to the foundation of what's actually important in your life and what's actually f- uh, important in whether it's business, whether it's life, you know, if it's flying, what's really important in the mission inside itself. Because very quickly you can find yourself uh, sidetracked uh, on the things that are not in offering anything good in your life, that are not necessarily offering anything of encouraging you to be able to get to the goals of where you want to go, but instead are just detractors. You know, it, it's just in the flying community, we talk about chaff and flare. Well, the point of chaff and flare is to redirect, <laughs> redirect the attention to anything besides yourself and your aircraft to be able to get whatever the weapon system that was trying to get to you to get it redirected somewhere else. And sometimes in our lives, so many times there's there's chaff and flare that pop up that we pay attention to that really we just need to focus and hone in on what is no kidding important with us. So, you know, as we bring this first session quickly to a close, I want to touch base first before we get out of this first episode with this is that, you know, your experience you had in F-18s, the experience you had uh, in the Starfighters, um, getting into pilot training, flying F-16s, that led you to the legendary F-35. And uh, in, in, when you step into this mindset of becoming not just, uh, you know, going from a squadron commander, stepping into the development of, of a fifth gen fighter, the creme de la creme, top, you know, top of the line. It, if people don't know what the F-35 is, it is uh, the premier uh, technological advanced fighter that we have. Was there anything intimidating about stepping into that process and saying, I'm the guy, I'm the guy? <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be focusing on the development and, and, and the test and the testing and the flight of this. No pressure, I'm sure. Well, so let's talk about F-35 because uh, one of the things you learn in a monster program, the biggest defense contract in history, the biggest developmental program in history, the most complex, the most comprehensive is that you're part of a massive team and no single individual can lead to the success that could lead to the failure, but really no single individual it, 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 um, is the, the sole point of success of the program. And so everybody's part of a team yeah. and your job is to be ready and contribute as part of that team all along the way. If you keep that in mind and keep in, in, in my case, you're, you appreciate that this is the ride, this is the game, this is the graduation ceremony, then you realize how fortunate you are to be part of 
the very best of engineers, the very best of ground crew, the very best that every text pilot brings every single time, uh, then you're going to be part of a team that succeeds. And, and this is the success of F-35 is speaking for itself now. Um, it's well over 10 years since first flight, 13 years. It's uh, all over the world right now. Hundreds and hundreds of F-35s out there in the hands of very capable men and women. And to be a part of the growth of that, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. And yeah. all because you realize you're part of a team much bigger than yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. What a perfect segue. Listen, uh, I want you to stay right here with us this week. Uh, this week, couldn't ask for a better episode. Billy Flynn, F-35 experimental test pilot, um, a long history. He's the, he's the man's man on the fighter pilots, fighter pilot. Thank you so much for joining us as, as your viewers and subscribers to the Legacy Podcast. And stay tuned because next week, Le Billy is going to be back with us, continuing to talk about the challenge of how you take the challenges that life presents you, regardless of what is what your life's profession is, but how you tackle those challenges and how you find your way to success in it. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. We couldn't be more honored to have you with us here this week and we will catch you next week uh, as we talk about part two of having you here with Billy Flynn thank you again and thanks for being with us Billy well, thanks so much for having me Trigger loved it